Joshua chapter 12, and uh, it's on page 219 in the um, Visitor's Bibles, from verse 7. Here is a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir. Joshua gave their lands as, as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. The lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. These were the kings. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, near Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Giza, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geda, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adalam, one. The king of Makedar, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Apheth, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Mardon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Meron, one. The king of Ashaf, one. The king of Tarknak, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokneam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Naphroth Dor, one. The king of Goyim in Gilgal, one. The king of Terzar, one. Thirty-one kings in all. Turning to Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. We hear now from the book of Hebrews as the writer applies this to us. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 to 10. A Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath on oath in my anger. 
they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Well, it's good to be here and uh, looking at this part of Joshua with you. We're going to spend most of our time in that uh, Joshua passage. Uh, so we'll get you to flip back to that uh, in a minute. Just, just keep it there at Joshua uh, 12 or so. Now I've got something here. Show and tell. I, uh, uh, would you believe this is indeed mine? Uh, anyone know what it is? Yes? An ice skating shoe. That's right. This is a figure skating boot. Uh, with a figure skating blade. Uh, I uh, skated as a figure skater uh, for quite some time, maybe 10 uh, or 11 years. Uh, that was the sport that I did. Others played cricket, uh, still others played soccer, uh, maybe others played rugby or netball or whatever it might be. Well, I did ice skating. And uh, I had a coach, uh, as, of course, uh, various coaches along the way, uh, and they all taught me, they all trained me. Uh, for the next skill, the next ability, whether it was, say, the double lutz, which was one of my favourite jumps, uh, or the spiral, uh, which I really didn't like. Uh, I just could never get my leg high enough out the back there. Um, well, putting it all together, you know, that was preparation for the next competition or the test, the division test to get into the next division or uh, the competition at uh, whether it was a local, a state or a national championship. Uh, now my coach, uh, they'd been there before, they knew what to do, uh, they knew how to do it as well, uh, but it was still me who needed to get out there and skate. They couldn't take the test for me to get me up into the next division, they couldn't skate uh, out there at state championships so that I could make the nationals. I had to get out there on the ice trust what they'd taught me and trained me to do and, and just do it. It's a little bit like that with the Christian life, isn't it? Living the life of faith. You see, God has set things up for us. He, he tells us the plan and he calls on us to act. That's kind of what he's been doing a little bit in Joshua so far. In fact, actually, he's been doing more than that, hasn't he? Far more than that. We've got a, a far better deal in our relationship with God than what I had with my coach. You know, my coach couldn't get out there on the ice and do it for me. Well, God really does so much for us. He plans, he promises, he acts and he does not disappoint. His words never fail. But what part do we play? What part do the Israelites uh, have to play? 
Well, they've got to act too, don't they? They need to step forward, living by faith, putting one foot in front of the other, walking upon the promises of God, like walking along a a log, acting on the promises of God. And today we're going to see that uh, at the beginning, when they entered into the promised land, they needed to do that, but that doesn't stop once they're in the promised land. This is, in fact, how the life of faith continues, or rather, how life in the promised land continues, living by faith. There's a key, a few key promises and commands that we're going to briefly look at uh, back uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, just to help us uh, remember those things. So flip back with me, Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, page 179, if you've got one of the Bibles from the foyer. I'll have a brief look there at a few verses. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, and when he has delivered them over to you, down in verse 2, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Here we have a specific command in the context of God's promises. I'm bringing you into this land. I am giving you this land, God says. I'm driving them out. I will go before you and so therefore you must utterly destroy the nations and the idolatry that's there. Notice that link between God's promises and God's commands. They're they're closely tied together. Like if you think bees and honey, what do bees do? Well, they make honey. One flows on to the other. That's where God's promises lead us. They lead us to act on them by following his commands. Now, one uh, sentence I found helpful from the study booklet that we've been doing as we go through uh, Joshua and our growth groups as well uh, was this. I thought it was well worth repeating because it captured this well. It said, God's promises are not meant to be sedatives, but stimulants that stir us to action. God's promises are not meant to be sedatives that put us to sleep, but stimulants that stir us to action. So when they went into the land, God's promise to give them, into, give them the land didn't mean that they could, you know, break out the, the, the beach chair, sit down and put their feet up. It gave them confidence to act, didn't it? a reason to obey. And further than that, in fact, this action, the action upon God's promises, leads to where? To our good, to our blessing. Look on in chapter 7, verse 2 of Deuteronomy. Make no treaty, show no mercy, God says, as you go in. Do not intermarry with them, for, verse 4, otherwise they will turn you away from following me. And my anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. Act in this way, God says. Take up my promises and follow them, follow my commands, so that you will live in the land and be blessed, lest you turn from me and be destroyed like I'm destroying the nations in the land through you. 
So God has given them his promises. I'm giving you this land as well as his command to go in and take it. And as we saw at the beginning of Joshua, entering into the promised land meant doing just that, meant taking those steps, holding the promises and stepping forward, stepping into the river Jordan and trusting that God would stop the water, stepping forward as they marched around the city of Jericho, the wall that stood impregnable. Stepping forward again as the wall came down and God said, go up, I have given them into your hand. Stepping forward again on that road to Ai, where they were first defeated. Stepping forward again and again, as we heard in that reading. This is the life of faith. God's promises are not meant to sedate us, but stimulate us to action. Living in the promised land means living by faith and taking the next step. So then, how are they going? How how are they going with this life of faith then? Well, we have seen a few issues along the way. Uh, We saw them uh, back in Ai where they were defeated the first time in chapter 6. Then also last week with the ruse that the Gibeonites pulled. Uh, But there have also been many victories, haven't there? Come back with me now to Joshua, chapter 10. Joshua, chapter 10. Page 216 in the foyer Bible. Uh, So here we see uh, the five Amorite kings, the kings of the hill country, come against Gibeon and Joshua takes the army of Israel and utterly annihilates them. God is with them. More enemies, in fact, are slain by the hailstones than with the sword. As we read on, the victories continue. Our cities in the south and and kings and cities of the south are defeated in the second half of chapter 10. And chapter 11, cities of the north, Hazor, Shimron, God brought victory to the Israelites, to Joshua and his armies. Like like beats of a drum. It doesn't quite work on this uh, music stand to a nice, loud, booming beat. But the repetition of one, the king of A, one, the king of Jerusalem, one, falling like dominoes in the land as they take up the promises of God. Things look pretty good. But as we come to chapter 13, there's more to the story. So let's have a look there. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, literally, you are old and well advanced in years. We had a chuckle in growth group that way. But also, there are still very large areas of land to be taken. There's more land to be possessed. Though there's been lots of victories, there's still more to be done. Uh, And it seems from the remark about Joshua's age that maybe the battles that have taken place have happened over some time, maybe five or, or so years. But despite what still needs to be done, God says, there's no reason to fear. 
No reason to shrink back at this point. God reaffirms his promise, the path to walk. Verse 6, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Only be sure to allocate this land to Israel as an inheritance. God's promise of victory still stands. Stands ready to be taken up, ready to be relied upon, ready for the Israelites to walk by faith. And so Joshua is to allocate that land out and, the, and Israel were to go in and possess it. Now the next nine or so chapters, the rest of chapter 13 through to, to 21, they've got descriptions of, of the land and the cities as they're to be allocated to the different tribes. It's an interesting read. I've heard it described as uh, you know, a little bit like the real estate section of the newspaper. If you, if you like that, you might uh, like to read it or if not, uh, have a go anyway. Um, you get descriptions of land like... Uh, Chapter 15, verse 2, talking about the southern boundary of Judah. Their southern boundary started from the bay at the southern end of the Salt Sea, that is the the Dead Sea, crossed south of the Scorpion Pass, continued over into Zin, and various other descriptions of the land, along with the cities, the towns that are included. Chapter 15, verse 21, down on the other side of the page. These These were the towns in the tribe of Judah. Kabzeel, Eder, Jagur... Kina, Dimona, Adada, and the list goes on. But you also get these narrative comments throughout. Interesting little uh, comments dotted. Let's have a look at chapter 15, verse 63. Top of the page, page 223. Verse 63, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. It's interesting words that we see. What's going on? Well, let's look at two particular episodes which which highlight the contrast uh, throughout this section. The first is Caleb. Caleb from uh, chapter 14, verse 6. Now, you really uh, have to read this. Uh, I'm sure Dick has read this and is excited by it. Uh, We'll see in just a minute. Um, you've got to love Caleb here. you just got to love him. He comes here to talk to Joshua. And, and basically this is what he says, Back when I was 40, we came here and I said we could do it because God was with us. Even though all the other spies, they chickened out, they melted with fear and turned the whole congregation against the idea of going into the land. But look, now I'm 85. 45 years later, Joshua says, chapter, uh, verse 10, I'm strong and as ready to go into battle as I was back then. I'll take them down with my walking stick. Just let me at them. God has promised and he is with me. How's that for being, being vigorous in your older years? Give me this hill country, he says to Joshua, verse 12. You know, and I know there's Anakites there, and the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Now, uh, the phrase uh, or the term Anakites probably doesn't really mean a lot to you uh, or to me. It's not to do with those things that you fly in in the sky like Mary Poppins. The Anakites are those things that you look up to because they are so very high. They are the giants. 
the ones that the other spies described as giants and said, we were like grasshoppers to them. That's who lives in this area. Now, the spies, the other spies, they say, run. But Caleb, Caleb says, God is on my side, let me at them. It reminds me of someone else who would come a little later and approach someone, an enemy of tall stature, when everyone else was afraid. Now, if, it was, if there was anyone in the land, any part of the land, that you might be forgiven for wanting to avoid, or oh, we'll leave those ones till later, you know, why, why uh, you know, make things too hard for ourselves at the beginning? It was this place where the giants lived, but not for Caleb. God has promised, he says. God is with me. And so Caleb is ready to step forward and fulfill God's command. This is the life of faith. And not only does Caleb live it out, but you know what? He draws us in too, doesn't he? Don't you just want to be with Caleb? I want to be with Caleb. I want to walk with him. Trusting the promises of God. Don't you? Well, now let's turn a page or two over to the end of chapter 17 and we'll see another group of Israelites. These are the people of Joseph. Chapter 17, verse 14. It's page 224. People of Joseph, verse 14. They said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Well, if you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear some land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaites. Hmm. Don't, don't be so hasty. There's, there's plenty of land, Joshua says. But then, well, the real reason for their complaint comes out. Verse 16, the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us and, well, all the Canaanites who live on the plain have iron chariots both those in Bethshan and its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel, there's chariots everywhere. How are we going to take them? Give us an easier place, they say. Verse 17, But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, You are numerous and very powerful. You will not have only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it and its furthest limits will be yours. And though the Canaanites have iron chariots, though they are strong, you can drive them out. Oh man, what a bunch of whinges. Come on. Caleb seems like he has more boldness in his little finger than these guys do. And they're, they're younger than him. Give us another area, it's not big enough. There's plenty of room. Okay, maybe it's not that it's not big enough, but there's big guys there with, with wheel things. and That's not the problem, Joshua says. You can do it. It's clear where Joshua's confidence lays, doesn't it? What he's resting upon. Not in superior military technology or equipment. Not even ultimately in superior numbers but resting where it had to lay all along in the Lord. 
trusting the promise keeper. The one who charged him to be strong and courageous, who put those promises before him and enabled him to walk. But in contrast, though, it's, it, it's stark, isn't it? It's equally clear where the people of Joseph's confidence fails to really lie too, doesn't it? Like we saw with Judah and the Jebusites back in chapter 15, 63. So this sprinkling, if you like, of, of yeast or leaven is among the Israelites. Chapter 13, 13, we see the eastern tribes shrinking back. 13, 13, the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makar. And so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. So also 17.12, the Manassites, they were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live there. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labour but did not drive them out completely. You can just imagine their thinking. Oh, these guys are too hard. Look, we'll just leave them there. And that, well, maybe it's really not that important after all. They've been there for a while you don't want to get rid of every skerrick of the nation. What about this, these valuable cultural traditions? And look, if we keep them here, we can make them work for us. Surely that's going to be wiser and more productive in the end. But so begins their departure from the land. They've just come in and their feet are already pointing out. It's important to see here that what's going on here is not a, a failure of the promises of God. As if God wasn't strong enough to get them, you know, get them over 95 hurdles, but not the last five or something like that. No, the narrator is emphatic about that in those verses from chapter 21, verse 43. Chapter 21. Verse 43, so the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their forefathers and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God's promises did not fail. God was not the cause of this slow trickle away from obedience to him. This yeast sprinkled at first, but working its way through the whole dough. It was the Israelites' failure to fully take up those promises, to live the life of faith. To go to the nth degree, to follow through on all that God had commanded them to do. To leave none in the land, to get rid of the idolatry in the nations. To remove it and have no part. And as a consequence, so comes their defeat, eventually. Just read on in Judges, being handed over to their enemies. And ultimately, in graphic detail, vomited out of the land just as God said would happen. It really does remind me of that yeast metaphor Jesus uses. A seemingly small, insignificant amount, yet 
bringing a great and tragic consequence. Now, it's easy for us to look at them and, and point the finger. What were they thinking? You know, couldn't they all have just you know, been like Caleb and got up there? But it's our battle too, isn't it? The battle is our battle, though it's, it's similar and it's different. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against, in a spiritual battle, against the sinful nature, against temptation, against the lies of the devil. Us too, like them, are fighting in a battle where the victory is guaranteed by God's promise. Even surer than that, in one sense. His word, it's, it's, it's in his blood that our victory is guaranteed. By his blood, our verdict with God is guaranteed. By his spirit, we are sealed. Unlike them, we each have personally received the Spirit of God, working in us, those who trust in the Lord Jesus. It's not like it was for me with ice skating or whatever sport it or music or whatever it might have been for you and your coach, your coach telling you what to do, but still it's all up to you. It's way, way better. We've got God in us, not just telling us what to do, not just being an example, but enabling us, empowering us by His Spirit, leading us and shaping us, shaping even our wills to be like His. And we've got those promises of God, firm and sure to walk on. They're, they're listed throughout the New Testament. God loved the world in this way, John chapter 3, 16. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Promise of salvation. Believe in him. Action. As we read in, in Hebrews chapter 4, there is a, a Sabbath rest. The way to rest with God, to life eternal with Him is open. Step forward. Take up that rest. Action. Lest in any of you be found a sinful, unbelieving heart. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. And one of my favourites, Colossians chapter 3. I love this. The way that Jesus, Paul points to how we've died with Christ. How we're united with him, we've been raised with him, that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's secure. And as a result of that, therefore, that's the promise, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, what belongs to the old way of life, and put on what belongs to the new way of life. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And put on... Faith, love, kindness, compassion, humility. God's promises are not meant to be sedatives, merely giving us those feel-good moments, saying, look, sit back, relax, put your feet up, do your own thing. 
Uh, God's promises are meant to be stimulants that stir us to action, to take the next step forward as we live the life of faith. The joy of the life of faith, the, the joy of seeing God work in you is a great joy too. God can work despite us. God can work through our disobedience to bring about good things. He can and he does. But how much greater is the joy when we keep in step with the Spirit, when we walk his way and we see him working in us, when we see our steps trusting the promises of God. If you haven't taken that first step yet, that first step of faith, of the life of faith, trusting Jesus for salvation. And please, can I encourage you to keep thinking about that, exploring that. The promise is sure. The promise is there and available now. Take that step. But if you have taken that first step, then can I ask you, what's the next step for you? Your foot's here. What's the next step? And the next step? Do you know what it is already? Is there something that God's been prompting you about? Something to cut out of your life? Something to take on, an area to grow in? Why not write it down? Write it down on the bottom of the outline now. Write it down later tonight or after a period of reflection. Take that next step this week. Step forward with sure confidence. And God's promises. And let's live out the life of faith together. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your promises are sure. That not one of your promises that you spoke to the Israelites failed and not one of your promises that you have spoken to us has failed or will fail. Father, we acknowledge that we often fail to take the step of acting on your promises, trusting in your promises and taking the next step. Please forgive us, Lord. Please change us. Work in us by your Spirit that we might take that next step. Give us the great joy of seeing your work in us, and grow us in the confidence of continuing to take the next step and encouraging one another to do so as well. We ask all this, that it might indeed be for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.